every year for the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years. Boy, time goes by quickly. Uh, there's been one speaker that we've had come from the outside to visit with us every year. And uh, we have him come every year because he's really good. Uh, that's one of the reasons. And if you've been here for a while, you already know that. If if you haven't been here for a while and you've not heard him before, you're in for a real treat today. Uh, but the other reason that we have him come every year is because we love him. Would you welcome the man with the chevrons on his sleeve and the baobab on his breast, Bishop Clopas Chitapa? Thank you. Amen. It's always good to be here. <laughs> How many of you love this family? Amen. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I am delighted to be part of the worship today and to see each and every one of you, the company of those that had a full breakfast this morning. The second service has a lot of energy and it's wonderful to see what goes on. Um, and uh, I think if I lived around, probably this was going to be my service too. <laughs> uh, I want to appreciate Pastor Ronnie and uh, Pastor Margaret. Um, <clears throat> and I share a long life uh, with them, having been my mentors and my teachers in in college and God has blessed me to follow their footsteps and learn from them over the years. In fact, this year, um, I, I had a, we, we kind of like, we, we have been blessed by God to be a multinational church ministry that is in different countries. So we choose each year a place where we have our executive meetings with all of our national overseers. And we were meeting in Cape Town early this year. <clears throat> and, uh, and I was, I was introducing something that they probably had never heard of that I would like all of our churches to have what is called the gate meeting. Now they thought I have, I have a lot of revelation in me, but they don't know where I copied it from. I don't, I, I probably have express copyright <laughs> that I can copy anything that I, so it's amazing how God begins to use that again and again. And we see all the wonderful things that are happening. So I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful for their life. And I'm thankful for God using them uh, to help me to become what God asked and sent me to, to be. And it's good to have all the pastoral stuff in the house. I, I, I find myself so much at home. I think in the past I used to say that I don't come here to preach. Uh, I come here specifically just to enjoy myself, to relax, to eat a lot. <laughs> and to enjoy something that is very unique like the... Uh, the Scooby Dooby that I was having last night. <laughs> uh, I'm uh, incredible, uh, gifting that I was watching last night and I'm, I'm amazed to see that happening the way I saw it last night. And I was telling and commending the brothers that I can't believe that you can just create it as you go. That's unusual. I, I, I <laughs> uh, that's really something. Well, 
Um, and again, I have to explain some things because Pastor Wayne always does some things that are not authorized. <laughs> so the, the, the next thing is that, uh, you know, many years ago, many of you would not know that Pastor Wayne was not very, a very tech person. He is one of those real analog pastors as far as I knew him until something changed along the way. And now he is on Instagram. What is Instagram? I mean... The next thing I have my picture that I see there on Instagram and it's all over Facebook and I wanted to be clear that if you saw it, it's one of those WikiLeaks kind of situations, please <laughs> ignore <laughs> It's not authorized. It's not. So don't download that picture. It's always good to be at Springhouse. How many of you love this family once again? Yeah. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and this is a great church. Amen. And... Uh, one of the things that I, I really feel I'm, I'm going to be talking about is that somehow I feel like sometimes I don't think Christians love their church as they should. You're supposed to love your family. Amen. Now, turn your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, and we will read verse 19. And verse 19 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, also members of his household. <clears throat> God bless the reading of his word. Amen. And this scripture teaches us something that is very true about how God's grand plan and probably the greatest thing that he's doing on the face of the earth. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus Christ, Matthew 16, Jesus said, I am building my church. And I believe that God does not have any other greater project on the face of the earth more than building his church. And in that same understanding, I also believe that none of us has any other greater vocation on the face of the earth than building together with Christ. And I believe that the building the church is the biggest and the greatest and the most important business on the face of the earth because it's God's priority project on the face of the earth. Now, one of the things that this scripture shows us is that he's calling people from every nation, ethnic background and peoples on the face of the earth, bringing them together into one household, the household of faith, the commonwealth of believers. So the scripture uses a metaphor or some kind of what I would call an ecclesiological image of a family. So it's interesting to see that actually the church is actually a family. So when you are here at Springhouse, this is actually a family. And the people that you see here today, you're going to be with them forever, for all eternity. And it's amazing that you may actually have some of the members of your biological family falling away in life, but your church family remains as your permanent family forever. And the Bible says God joined us and brought us together. What you need to understand is that in the kingdom of God, we, there are only two ways of becoming a member of a family. One of them is you have to be born into the family. And I believe that that's the natural process, how you became who you are and to carry the same name that you have today. But the other way is you have to be adopted into the family. And I believe today that it's amazing to see how scripture applies both of them to God's children. That we are born again, we are born into a family. But Paul also tells us that we have been adopted into the family. 
And to explain something to you why the Apostle Paul labored the adoption point is that in Roman law, you could actually give over your child or you could, you could actually reject or disown a child. But if you adopted a child, you could not unadopt a child. Which means once you have been adopted, you are stuck forever with the family that you are adopted to. And believe me, no wonder why the Apostle Paul puts a special emphasis on the fact that not only are we born into the kingdom of God, but we have been adopted. He took us up from far away, different walks of life, brought us into the family of God. But I do believe that this understanding of family life is something that sometimes we struggle with in the house of God, failing to realize that the parallels that we can draw out of our real biological paternal family could very much be the same as what happens with our experience in this family of saints. Now, earlier on I shared a story about something that I was teaching from the book of Genesis concerning the story of Noah, how God redeemed one family. And that was a picture of the church in the ark of Noah. But alongside, he also redeemed all the other creatures and species on the face of the earth. The Bible teaches us that he brought them all together, stayed in an ark after the service in this country. A young boy came over to me and said, Pastor Kloppers, I have a question for you. Very innocently. He said, I would like to ask, when the elephant was in the ark, do you think it did some poo inside the ark? Now, this is no adult who ever asked me that question. (laughs) Only an innocent child. And this kid is asking a perfect question that probably notice that I never even went that far to explain those things. In reality, I said, yes. I don't believe that the laws of nature were suspended when they went into the ark. Everything was still normal. But for some moment, it fixed my attention on understanding the kind of compromises and tolerances that everybody who was staying in the ark had to live with. And it does show you a picture of how we live in the family of God. That when we come into the household of God, we then realize that God drew people from different places. And he brought us all together to live for eternity together as a group and a family of saints. Now, last week, I listened to the message that Pastor Bobby preached on forgiveness. And uh, no wonder why you need to get this technology working. You see, you got, the congregation is larger than you realize. And what happens is, here's what was happening. I, I found out that, in my, in my mind, I'm thinking to myself that, who at Springhouse needs to be preached about forgiveness? Everybody looks nice. I mean, I don't see any problem among you. When I look at you, I look like you are excellent guys. You are wonderful people. Could there be anybody who would ever take offense from another brother and harbor unforgiveness in our midst? Well, think about it. The scripture still remains saying the same thing. Forgive us as we forgive those. Now, why would it continue to say that? Because in reality, it does happen among people that when we stay together, some forgiveness is really needed. We have to budget for that ahead of time. Because it's going to happen. It's not about if, it's just when. Because it's really definitely going to happen. Now, you know, I I shared a story about a a clip that I was using with some of our youngsters at home. About a young man who went to his father and he said, Daddy, I want to get married. Now, the father looked at him and he said, Okay, say I'm sorry. The young man said, Sorry, what? I said, say I'm sorry. He said, I don't understand. What did I do? I said, say I'm sorry. Sorry about what? I said, say I'm sorry. Then finally, the young man said, okay, I am sorry. He said, now you are ready to get married. Now, what you need to understand is, when you say you are going to be starting a family, you better be ready to say, I'm sorry, many times, more than you will. How many of you know that I am sorry is the hardest word for men to say? 
from where I come from, not here. But I want to share with you today that I believe that we are a family and a family of saints. But there's a lot of us who do not survive family dynamics. And God's word teaches us that we need to learn that we are a family. Now, I travel a lot and one of the things that I get to learn all over the world is that there are some common things that I see in the body of Christ that show you that people fail the family life in the church. And that does not only apply in the church, but also outside the church. Now, when you get outside the church, you're going to find out that People have reasons why they don't want to belong to the church. And one of the top reasons is called hypocrisy. When you talk to the people outside, they will tell you that I don't want to go to church. Why? There's a lot of hypocrites in the church. When you come into the church, there's a lot of people who are offended by this and that one. This this church, I think I will leave because there is a lot of hypocrites. Now, believe me, if you look to the left and to the right, you may see a hypocrite somewhere in those seats. Now, what you need to understand is, a hypocrite is someone who always have forever. And you may be actually one of them. Now, I got to explain that. (laughs) But what you need to understand is, Jesus rebuked hypocrisy a lot. 17 times in the New Testament, he makes reference to hypocrites. And a hypocrite is a pretender. Somebody who is posturing what they are not. Or does not do what they preach. In fact, the word hypocrite in the New Testament, the Greek actually has a more elaborate sense to it because what it really means, it doesn't necessarily just talk about somebody who does not do what they preach, but it also means somebody who does the opposite of what they preach. So at the end of the day, there are some people who sometimes fail in many areas, which is common to every one of us. So you need to understand that not every sinner, every sinner, is a hypocrite, but every hypocrite is a sinner. But not every sinner is a hypocrite. Sometimes we fail in certain things, but that doesn't really make us hypocrites. Today I want to explain a little bit about the hypocrite side. And I want you to realize that I really believe that the saying is true. There's always room for one more hypocrite in the house of God. But that is not the reason why you should have an offense or have a problem with the church. Or say I walked out of that church because I saw so many hypocrites inside there. You see, we are always supposed to be the way we are. We are work in progress, every one of us. And that level of tolerance is a requirement in our life because there's a lot of us who put demands on others which we do not uphold ourselves. Now, believe me, I told a story about Ruth Bell, the wife of Billy Graham. I read about it when some time back she was visiting, I think in India, and she met a man who actually said he would not accept Christ because of the fact that he had never seen a Christian who was like Jesus Christ. And eventually she struggled with it because she could not know the best way to answer this man. And then one of the members who was a leader among the Indian pastors said to her, it's not a very difficult thing. Tell her that I'm not presenting the Christian, I am presenting Christ to you. And the difference is the fact that sometimes people want to measure Christianity on the performance of the Christian rather than on the person of Jesus Christ. The Christian faith does not stand on the performance of Christians. The Christian faith stands on the person of Jesus Christ. You did not come here because everybody is supposed to be perfect for you. You need to understand that you came for Jesus. The reason we came is the reason we stay. And that's the reason why you can get me out of the church no matter what you do. 
Because I never came for you. It's not even necessary. Even if you don't smile, not even once, I will always be in the house of God. The reason I didn't come for that. I came because of Jesus. I stay because of Jesus. And the reason why I came is the reason why I stay. Now, I want to submit to you today that you may be surprised when you think about hypocrites. In your eyes, or for the most part, you think, oh, there's a lot of hypocrites. A spring house, there's a, this other hypocrite. I know the other one who sings in the choir. The other one actually is very close to Pastor Wayne. Hypocrite. Now, let me tell you. Actually, in the church of God, we don't have as many hypocrites as we have judges. The real problem we have is not a problem of hypocrites. We have a problem of too many judges in the house of God. And every one of us, standing in our own self-righteousness, we're always looking at the other brother or sister and trying to make comparison and say, I think I, I think I have a problem with it. I think I have a problem with that. I think I have a problem with that. Now, to overcome that, you need to understand that for the most part, as you live in the family of God, it helps you to know a little bit more about every brother and sister. That way, you will never actually be the kind of judge that you are. So here's the example that I gave. I traveled from... Southern Africa, when I was coming here, this is my first stop in North America. And what happened is, I flew from Johannesburg to JFK in New York City. Fifteen and a half hours. Long trip. Then after that, I had a two-hour break at JFK. I would take another plane again to go to Charlotte, North Carolina. After that, I would take another plane again from Charlotte to come to Nashville. Now, by the time that I was connecting coming here, we had only an hour, but I was done. I was tired. And so I sat next to a woman. She was a wonderful lady. And the moment I sat down, I have no idea how the plane left. I think I woke up by the time when I was walking, waking up. I think I was hearing the sound of deacceleration as the plane is beginning to actually uh, work on its descent. And then I realized all this time, I was leaning on the shoulders of this woman. And I was sleeping. Never woke up for more than 45 minutes. I was way fast asleep. This woman was tolerant, struggling with my head over her shoulder. By the time when I woke up, I looked at her. I was deeply sorry. I told her, ma'am, I am so sorry. Now, I could look at her eyes and I could see she wasn't taking my, my apology very well. And I realized that she was upset. She didn't like the fact that... And I think in her mind, she's struggling with it. What is wrong with these people? Is this what Africans do? Like they just get into a plane and then suddenly begin to lie on you? What is it? Now, eventually, as I talked to her and apologized, I then said, I'm very sorry, ma'am. I've been flying for the last 24 hours. When I said that, immediately her attitude changed. She actually started to actually apologize to me. She said, I'm so sorry. You've been traveling for that long? I said, yes. For two consecutive nights, I haven't slept. And I'm so sorry that, you know, by the time when she understood my story and knew how far I had come, she was ready to actually say, go ahead, you can actually live if you want to sleep on me. Now, you see, her judgment changed because of knowing the story. And sometimes you judge people in the house of God without knowing how far they have come. And you think, oh, this is what is wrong with them. Why they are like this. But I want to say to you that I really believe that the more we know the story, in the house of God, you do not need to be a judge. You need to always know the story. And I think in my pastoral life, I have something that sometimes offends people. 
when I look at the story or an incident happens and everybody say, you have to do something about this. And usually by the time when I call a person and I want to know what really happened. Did you know that that's the reason why in the raw justice system, nobody is supposed to be sentenced until they have been heard. Because justice is predicated on God. And he will not, the Bible says, he is the righteous judge because his judgment is according to the truth, not speculation or a rumor. God knows the truth. That is the reason why even some people in the family whom you wish dead, they are still prospering by God's grace, even though you don't like them. The reason is because God does not join you in hating anyone. You need to grow to know that that is the nature of God. He works with the truth and the genuine truth. And he knows the truth. He's not supposed to be told by WikiLeaks. He knows the truth. He doesn't read that about it. He knows the truth. So basically that was distinguishes God from everybody else. And I believe that it's important for us to realize that you have no reason to really worry about, oh, I don't like church. Because there are too many hypocrites in the house of God. No, 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 no. I tell you the truth that the family is like that. The kind of tolerance that we have to exercise in the house of God is equally the same with your own family. And we'll get back to that. But that is one thing. I think I have three things that I would like to just mention that I believe today they are on the very top of the list causing contention and problems in the family. The second one is money. Everybody say money. Now, I'm going to get the perfect and most optimum attention on this one because you all like money and I'm aware of that. It's not very hard to talk about money because everybody pays attention on the money side. That is the reason why sometimes when we watch or sometimes when we get a financial statement or reports, we look twice on every single day. But you know, did you know how many people take offense on the church because of money? So many people. And it's like, they don't want to be part of the church because of the money. They, all that they want is the money. All that the preachers want is the money. And this is how they criticize the church. You come into the church, there's a lot of brethren who are offended over money issues in the house of God. And other people who do not exercise their stewardship as they should. Because they have issues with the fact that why did Wayne buy a new, a new guitar? Da, 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 da. The other microphone, why was it replaced? You know, it's like every day you're always raising issues over money. Now, brothers and sisters, let me explain this to you. The church is supposed to talk about money. As far as I'm concerned, we don't even talk about money as much as we should. Money is a very important part of your life. Part of the reason why sometimes you even miss church. Looking for money. Your whole life, you spend chasing after money, not worshiping. You'll be chasing after the money. The Bible will be a completely off-topic book if it never addressed the money issue because it's very central to your daily pursuit. Deuteronomy chapter 8. The scripture does say this, that it is God who giveth the power to make wealth. Now, every time when I read that scripture, sometimes you think it refers only to the business acumen of developing wealth. No, but in reality, what it really talks about is broader than that. It talks even about the real physical energy that we have. The life that we have comes from God. And because of the fact that we spend all our energy and life that God has given us, pursuing after generating resources, our way of appreciating God and recognizing Him for His providence is through the money that we work for. So I really like the lady, what she said when she was collecting offering here. Because it's so true. Sometimes people don't realize that as God's children, because we are the family of God, we need to understand the fact that money is a spiritual subject. 
Yeah, don't worry, we'll stay here on this one until we finish. Money is a spiritual subject. And the reason why is because your attitude towards money is a spiritual issue. Your relationship with money is a spiritual issue. And there is a reason why when Jesus would speak, he would actually show you that money is the only thing that competes for the affection together with God. It's unbelievable. That he would actually compare God and mammon and he says you can worship either. The reason is because when our attitude is not correct towards money, we can actually make a God out of money. And because of that, the church needs to talk about that. We need to learn how to relate with it. And there's a reason why we take offense over the issues of money because of the fact that it's actually a spiritual issue by itself. I think about your politics in this country. And I think about the fact that American politics is almost about money. Because there's so much money that is spent in your politics that we, we, we mafia. In fact, much of the money that is spent in this election can pay our national debt in our country. So, at the end of the day, it sounds like democracy for sale. It's like it's something else when you look at it. But it, the truth is, money is right at the very center of everything. Now, money can change even your very behavior. In the morning, I was saying, do you know that in this house right now, if all of you tomorrow morning woke up with $10 million plus, every one of you, every one of us in this house, believe me, some of you within seven days, you would not remember who Margaret is. I, you have to be introduced a couple of times. Like, do you remember Margaret? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember this lady. Yeah, yeah. Your whole attitude changes because of money. And that is the strange thing that it, it's it got so much power enough to actually... This is the reason why the book of Proverbs teaches about money in the hands of a fool. How many tragic things can happen when a person who has not spiritually developed to handle resources happens to have resources in his hands. This is the reason why the book of Third John teaches us that. I wish above all that you prosper as your soul. Which means it's okay for our material success to be predicated on our spiritual development. Because when we become the opposite, we are self-destructive. We don't have the ability to actually handle all of God's blessings. Then the reason is because we have not developed spiritually. And what I find in the church of God is strange. Because most of the people that talk about money, they hear those things from the people of the world. And they bring them in the house, complain about money. Now, here's the truth. Did you know that the top three reasons, all of the marriage experts, they teach that among the top three reasons why people divorce or break up, money is one of them. Among the top three reasons why people drift from church or have disappointment with the church, money is one of the top three. So you find that money becomes a bone of contention in everything. Why does the church need to talk about money? Because in the church, it's the only place where money is discussed with sanity and in non-market terms. Let me explain that. When you go out there and you talk to people about money, everybody will tell you that do everything to get it. Dog eat dog. They refer that to business. It's like in Africa, we know about that a lot. Even if it means a few people have to die, what is it anyway? I mean, it's like people pursue money at all costs. So the morality is completely out of it because of the fact that we have not learned to be stewards of God. One of the best teachings I ever heard about finances and stewardship was a teaching that Mario gave when he came to Southern Africa with the team last time. And to be honest with you, you know, I told people early in the morning that I consulted for an organization at some point, which was one of the first organizations to actually do a research in scripture to find out on how many financial references or references to wealth and money exist in the Bible. 
And they found out that there's more than 2,300 verses that have referenced or allude to money in some way or another. The next thing I would hear people talk about it in seminars and you would hear people preaching maybe about prosperity and they would say you have to get so much money because you have to understand that the Bible teaches us that 2,300 times it refers to money. The more you know about it, you will be surprised. In fact, what they never mentioned is that more of those verses are warning men about the attitude of handling money than telling men to get more of it. Because it's harder to actually handle wealth and without the principle within you. And the reason why money is an issue of contention in the body of Christ, and people talk about money all the time, it's so easy to amass a lot of criticism for the church. Once you start talking of the fact that the church has money, they abuse money, they, oh, da, 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 da. that's it. The fact of the matter is that God's people, we do not need to allow money to become an issue. Sometimes when I think about kingdom issues, I ask myself, if all it takes is money, get it done. It's not, there's not even a very simple reason why we should not get it done. If all it takes is money, let's get it done. Amen? Because God has given all the resources in the world today. And his agenda matters to us, building his family and his kingdom and his name on earth. And I believe that we'll keep on doing that. The third one is the issue of love. And I, didn't, I believe that many times you hear people say, oh, there's no love at Springhouse. Yeah, that's why I don't like that. Yeah, you know, you meet a guy who probably, ah, there's not, there's always someone in the church, always someone, and someone is here today, who come into the church with a register to check love on everyone coming in. Barbie, 60%. Wayne, 2%. This one, 5%. Brother, so and so. Yeah, they don't have love. It's like you come and you fold your hands and you say, I want to see whether they can love me. You know, you really don't need to do that. You know, it's like most of the times you find people who literally come into the house to check on everyone whether they are loving them. The Bible says, love yourself. Love the brother as much as you love yourself. If you have a sense of self-acceptance, you appreciate every brother. Actually, you can enjoy sharing the love of God. Because if you don't have it, you sometimes do not feel that it, it's there for you. And you look at everybody as an enemy. And you look at everybody as though they don't like you. Everything about you is perceived. And you've got all these stories about each one. Now listen, in the morning I said, it's not hard to understand and to live in the house of God. One of the simple principles you need to master, always remember, not everyone was raised by your mother. And when you keep that in your head, you can get along with everybody. And you can realize that each one is different. God called all these people from different places around the world in the community. Someone was a gangster. Someone was doing pot. Someone was doing that. Now here we are, the commonwealth of faith. We are together, different ages, but this is what we are. We are part of the household of faith. Families have those kind of things. It's normal. You know, I tell you... Families have this kind of differences sometimes. Even when we have them, love still is the order of the day. We still love each other even though we may disagree at some point. The love of God is still true to each and every one of us. The love of God is shared abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We love one another. We are brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God and nothing can change that. Now I give this example. In Africa, there are two occasions that bring the whole family together. Very dangerous occasions. One of them is called funeral. In fact, when someone dies in Africa, it's a big deal. Because everybody has to come. In fact, the funeral is usually delayed. One of the problems, we, have, we wish we would do it the way you do it here. Because somebody dies, 
get rid let's bury them in africa we can spend the whole week morning dealing with all our differences so a wedding is another one everybody has to come Yeesh. and i tell you that's one of the times when you begin to realize oh my goodness because here's another one we didn't meet for the last 17 years finally we are getting together again we have some stories about our upbringing, the things that were happening when we were young, and here we meet at the funeral. Now, the most difficult part of the whole program is the part that they say, now we would like to give the relatives to have something to say. I wish they would remove that from the program. That is the worst part of the whole program. Because here you are, if you are, if it's a wedding, if you are the wedding party, you have to put on seatbelt right there. Because the worst is about to happen. I mean, the things that are going to be saying, nobody knows what they are going to say. But you are going to hear things that will surprise you about some old grievances that happened 22 years ago. When your mother was in love with so-and-so. You know, things that you just don't want to hear about. So, during that time, it's the only time when it gets so horrified, worse than a U.S. 2016 presidential debate. It gets so bad. That you can't believe what in, what in the world is, what are they talking about? I mean, and there you are and you're going to wait for the whole speech. But families do that. <laughs> That's the issue. When you meet family, you know, many times in my life, I have had to celebrate Thanksgiving in this country. And I found out that maybe it's not only our African families that are dysfunctional. There's a couple of them which are also the same here. So time after time, I'll have a friend who will say, come and celebrate Thanksgiving with my family. And then I'm going to meet other people who are not part of the regular faith community that I see. This is so and so from my brothers, this from my aunt, that from my... And usually, if it's a Christian brother who brought you there, they always have an apology for you later on. (laughs) Because, oh brother, I'm really sorry. I didn't expect that it was going to go that far. Families do that. The same in the church get used to, to that. You have no reason to be offended by, oh, I don't like him. I don't. They are all like that. God brought them there. You know, in the book of Romans chapter 15 on verse 7, the scriptures say, as much as you were accepted by God, you have a requirement to accept the other brethren. Because God accepted you as you are. Now, in your mind, you think you are absolutely perfect. And I'm here to remind you, we are enduring you. That's why we are staying with you. And you need to remember as a brother or a sister, it's not like you are very perfect. It's the fact that we understand the principle of brotherhood and sisterhood. That we were called to live together and this family is no worse than any other family. And how many of you, you know, every family tries to tell you that our family is the perfect one. Until you know the real inside story. The truth of the matter is, actually every family is the same. And Spring House, if it's our family, it's equally the same. You know, when, when I see a person saying, oh, I got this, this is out there. I think that's how the church is going to be. So every time when I hear that, I feel like, oh my God. This person does not realize. As long as you're going to a church where there are human beings, the story is the same. It's just like listening to a man who has been married for 15 years telling you that, I think I want to divorce my wife because there's this other lady who is, this, this, she's a very sweet woman. That's stupid. You are going back to grade one, you start from grade zero, it will be the same process again. There's nothing that will change. I love my wife. Today, I have lesser friction than I used to have 15 years ago. We get along pretty well. I could be a nut to everyone else except to my wife. She's so used to me 
that even my insanity is enough entertainment for her. She doesn't deal with it. She knows how to handle me well. Nothing is a problem to her. But to imagine getting started again, are you kidding me? That's a real situation you are creating for yourself. So at the end of the day, you realize, oh my goodness, we can get along very easily with time. Amen? And I, I, in our culture, we have a very interesting thing where the hardest thing for you to do in our culture, you know, we, we have a culture that is very strange in some way, but wonderful when it comes to our matrimonial principles. The hardest thing for me to do is to tell my father that I want to divorce my wife. So our culture preserves our marriages in some way. It's a very long process to get married, but it's equally long to divorce. Because everyone you told involved when you were marrying, you have to involve them when you are divorcing. You will get tired before you finish the queue. I mean, it's such a long line that you never deal with everybody at the same. But the last man to tell that is your father. For me to go to my father and say, Dad, I think I want to get rid of this woman. If I don't get beaten right there and then, but here's the other thing that could happen. My father will look at me and say, do you see your mother? She's a witch, but we've been together forever. Now it's like, what you need to understand is, this is the way how it's structured. But it preserves our marriages a great deal. Somehow we learn to realize that we can endure one another and we can stay together forever. I want to encourage, there are many people in the church that are failing the family dynamics. In the church of God today, you got people who are always on exodus, everywhere, moving up and down, looking for the perfect church without realizing that they are not the perfect member. You need to realize that your problem is not learning the dynamics of the family. This is a household. It's a family. We were called to live together. And as living together, the other one eats too much. The other one laughs too loud. The other one does that. No problem. We can hang around together no matter what your behaviors are. This is what God brought us into. One family together. Now the church of God. Thank you. I, I, I shared a story in the morning about a brother that I traveled with to India. And I was so surprised because we, we found some things that were very different there than most of the other places that I got. And I, I travel every, in the last six weeks I was sharing about the fact that in the last six weeks I've done three nations in the Indian Ocean from Madagascar, Mauritius, and two weeks ago in the Seychelles, Botswana, Swaziland. All I get to see is differences in the body of Christ and all variety in terms of how people worship and the way they do things. Do I take offense? No. So I have this brother, we are in India. And he goes into church and they made him to sit on the other far end of the line in the front seat. Then they bring this whole jug of Holy Communion. Now you see, I just had Holy Communion here. Little plastic. They don't do that in India. They will give you the whole mug. Somehow they read the Bible correctly. They drank from the same cup. Now this brother did not know that. Took the jug and started drinking like he's having a nice beverage. Putting it down and continuing to drink. The whole church is waiting for that mug. He doesn't know that. Now finally, the usher runs to rescue the mug from this brother. Eventually, we get back to the hotel and I start talking to him. I say, what was going on? Why didn't you pass that off? He said, Pastor, I didn't know that. We have never done that. And in fact, in our country, if you do that, there will, no one will drink from that cup. So you have your whole community by yourself. I said, but didn't you see the size of the cup? He said, I thought they honored me as a guest. That's why they gave me the bigger cup. I had no idea that I'm supposed to pass it on to all the members in the church. 
But you know why I say this? Because just some weeks ago, I was battling with a brother in, a, in another country who is struggling to work in the body of Christ because of the way how Holy Communion is conducted. And I'm thinking, stop it. You have no business worrying yourself over trivial things like those. People, everything is different in the body of Christ. Do you know that even as the church, as the body of Christ, more of the things that unite us are more important than the things that divide us. All of the things that divide us are totally unimportant. We agree on the basics and the most important. There are things that God gave us a choice and preference. He gave us latitude of choice. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Never told us the size of the cup. Never told us the frequency of the Holy Communion. In fact, I can tell you as a person who travels, I've been in places where I marvel the way how they do Holy Communion. The other time I was preaching in an African church in South Africa. They never have a time for Holy Communion. They just put the elements here. As the worship is going on, you can come anytime you want. As you are dancing, grab your Holy Communion. You eat and you go back to your seat. I thought, hmm, this is different. But can I actually accuse them and say it's wrong or they are for, they are, they are a cult? No, they are not. The fact of the matter is, do this in remembrance of me. And that's what we need to come to. Sometimes the key to living together is called compromise. And compromise is not always a bad word. You need to understand that. So at the end of the day, it's probably the greatest secret to living together for a long time. You get to learn to make music out of everything. And you enjoy every brother and every sister in the house of God. You know, every time when I think about what goes on in the church, and I'm done, can we say we can stand? We can stand, we'll pray. <laughs> Sometimes I, I always, I always, I, I, I am a church planter. And God called me to plant churches. Sometimes I go to a place and we're busy working on planting a church. Months later, people are writing me like, oh, the church is dying here. This other brother took another wife. This one stole the money. This one did this. This one. <laughs> and every time when I hear that and I think, next time when you write to me, just tell me the problem. Don't tell me the church is dying. The church does not die. It doesn't belong to you. It's God's household. He owns it. This house is a father. Do you understand he watches over that. So when Jesus was talking about his church, he said, the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. That's something. <laughs> so Jesus told us that I'm building a church which cannot be destroyed, cannot be ruined by anything. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. You know, I wish I could explain that. It's awesome to hear Jesus say that. But what I want to say today to you is that we are part of a family and a church that exists for eternity. My question to you that I want it to be a matter of prayer to you today is that as a member of the family, you know what God wants out of us when Paul teaches about us being a family? He says we are like a body. Lungs, ears, eyes, hands, feet, knuckles, everything. So he's using the, the physical anatomy of the body as an example to show you that we are all members and each one is a part to play in the body. And that's what is true about every one of us. And you know, when I look at the body of Christ today, one of the things that I see, the trouble in the church today is that the body is moving, agonizing with a few, but there is a lot of us who are inside, but they are not members. In a sense, we are like what I always give an example of a car. 
When you buy a new car, I promise you, there's always a nut or a screw or a bolt somewhere under the carpet which drives with you everywhere but it's holding nothing. And that is what some members in the church are like. We are part of it, but we don't make any difference significantly to the body. God does not want you to be like that. He wants you to be part of this family and to have a mark and a distinction in the family. And if you have a prayer to the Lord today, pray and say, Lord, I want to be a real member. And I want to be a member that makes a difference. I do not want to be just a part that is hanging loosely inside, but I want to be a significant member in the body. God did not bring you here to become a statistic. You have a difference that only you will make by your presence. And God knew about that from eternity memorial. That's why he brought you here. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will help us today to realize that we should find our place as members in this family. We are the family of God. May God bless you. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. We need to do two things. Uh, we want to take up an offering uh, for our brother. And it's a blessing to be able to do that. I mean, you, you see the quality of ministry that he establishes really everywhere he goes. Um, let's go ahead and do that, first of all. If, you, if, you, if you're writing a check, just make it out to Springhouse. Every penny will go to him. I promise that. Uh, when we were in Zimbabwe, we were there with a, with a ministry that was very fruitful. Uh, very fruitful ministry. Let's go ahead. Now, somebody, go ahead and just pass this. Uh, and I guess, I don't know how many years after we had come back, uh, I get a, a message from, from Clopas, and, and he was saying that he really felt like the Lord was, was leading him to leave that ministry. And uh, I said, well, I, you know, I understand that. You need to go to the leader of the ministry and you need to ask for a blessing before you leave. You don't just leave. You just go and you ask for a blessing. And, uh, and he did that. He did that. And uh, the, when, when I say ministry, I mean, they had thousands and thousands of people in their churches. Uh, and they had had quite a few people who had come and gone in leadership. And uh, Ezekiel said to him, you're the only one. You're the only one who's ever come and asked for a blessing before you left. And that's why he's been so fruitful. And that's why, that's why, he's, that's why he is the quality of man that he is. And so this is good. This is good soil. Uh, we also want to take... Just a, just a few moments because uh, there may be some people here who need prayer today, or there may be maybe be some people here who don't. You know, you're not in the body of Christ, but you're going. You know, I, I think I, I, I'd like to do that. I want to. I want to become a, a follower of Christ. So those who are going to pray with people, come down, and we'll we'll just sing for a few moments. And if you need prayer, uh, if you'd like to meet Jesus, we'd love to introduce you to Him. And and these brothers and sisters. Are here to pray with you today if you don't need to uh, come down for prayer just worship with us for a few moments <laughs>